Scholl's Custom Fit Orthotics for a kiosk nearest you. Savings versus other custom orthotics insert brands sold at retail. The views of this program are not necessarily the views of KJLL Radio, its management, or its sponsors. The host is solely responsible for its content. Enjoy. The views of this program are not necessarily the views... On a mission given to me by Woody Shaw, Sunship, Dizzy, and Billy Higgins, dedicated to pursuing a piece of our cultural heritage through interviews with my jazz heroes, this is The Jake Feinberg Show. Welcome everybody to The Jake Feinberg Show. It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon here in Tucson, and don't forget... The 7th Annual Tucson Record Show, November 6th at Las Casulitas Event Center on I-10 and Grant. And also, if you have any stereo components that you need fixed, turntables, etc., etc., check out the Stereo Hospital Inside Metronome Music. Those are two loyal sponsors of the Jake Feinberg Show. Let's get to it. My guest today is one of the most unheralded drummers in the Bay Area. He was born into a musical family in cow country of Sacramento, and after tinkering with the trumpet, he switched over to the drums. Upon moving to the Bay Area, he played and toured with Vince Guaraldi, Woody Shaw, Chet Baker, Zoot Sims, and Woody Herman. He was also Cal, Dr- Cal Jader's drummer for the last half dozen years of Cal's life and played on five of his albums. He continues playing and teaching today, And here's a quote from his buddy Mike Clark that pretty much sums it up. Vince is truly one of the greatest big band drummers in the world. He plays great Latin and his jazz drumming is killing. Everyone who comes to the Bay Area knows he's the cat to call. Vince Latiano, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you, Jake. I I have to tell you, in the last month, uh, in, in the last two weeks, I've spoken to Mike Clark and another guy from Sacramento, Another drummer, Bill Vitt, and uh, I'm just trying to figure out what was what was going on. Who what was in the water in Sacramento in the early 1940s? Fluoride. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, you know, oh, there was a there was a. I mean, listen, you, uh, you know, the, the it's just so funny to speak to three guys. I think Mike was born there. I know Bill definitely was born there, and and I'm just trying to figure out. Um, you know, growing up, Sacramento actually was a hotbed of musical activity. There were a lot of clubs, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit about uh, the scene that was there in your early years uh, that that really got you uh, swinging. Well, uh, when I, before I was even old enough to go into clubs, I, I was hanging out, <clears throat> excuse me, outside clubs and listening, you know, and uh, and then I started playing actually when I was underage, <laughs> like a lot of people, I, I was uh, probably 18 or 19, and I looked about 12. <laughs> I don't know how I pulled that off. I really don't. But anyway, um, but yeah, there was a, a, it was a scene, you know. It was uh, nothing like uh, the Bay Area or 
or L.A. or New York, but and there was a scene. There were some fine players. I was fortunate enough uh, to hook up with a tenor saxophone player uh, named Gene Morris, who was a veteran of <clears throat> of uh, Lionel Hampton's band. He, I think he replaced uh, Arnett Cobb, mm. who came after uh, uh, uh Illinois Jaquette. So it was right in the. He was in the. He was in there in the <clears throat> early fifties, and he played that style, you know, that kind of honk and walk in the bar style. And so I was lucky enough, like I say, to get with him and learned a lot just uh, playing with him, you know. And, uh, and and there were other people like that, but Gene stands out uh, in my memory of, of uh, schooling. You know, I mean, I. Uh, I'm making a living on what I learned in public schools in Sacramento. Uh, they had good programs, and uh, I was in a band and an orchestra and a uh, jazz band, you know, and so forth, and playing gigs. I I was playing gigs with guys that were uh, much older than me. Uh, I had to join the union to play with them. I was, before my 16th birthday, I was playing with guys like that. And... Uh, so Sacramento was, yeah, it was a place to learn. Um, I'm, I'm, had, have fond memories of growing up there, but when I left, that was that, you know. Uh, yeah, Bill Vitt said that uh, when Mothers Against Drunk Driving came on the scene, uh, it really kind of curtailed the nightlife of Sacramento. Uh, and whether or not that's true is really irrelevant. It's just, it, it struck me as amazing that there were, you know, you had. Um, uh, there, there were these soul club, R and B clubs, soul clubs, and 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 quite a lot. Uh, and again, nothing compared to the Bay Area or, you know, any of the you know, Chicago or New York. But still, right, right. you know, still a respectable place. And I, I was curious. I mean, I wanted to ask you, um, take a moment here. I do this occasionally, is just to speak a little bit about sort of the unsung heroes of music, uh, which, which tend to be, uh, high school band instructors, uh, mm-hmm. even, even junior high band instructors. And, and you mentioned that you, you received your education through public schools in Sacramento. And I think it's important for you to, uh, expand on that a little, a little bit. Well, um, as you said earlier, I started on the trumpet in elementary school and, uh, and, uh, there was a, a traveling teacher and that taught uh, um, several elementary schools, and he was a a young guy that was kind of a uh, you know a, a jazz aficionado, and uh, so right away you know I'm playing <clears throat> easy steps to the band, <clears throat> excuse me, and C Jam Blues you know about right. the same time, so I got a little taste of of playing and swinging, and um, when I switched when I went on to junior high school, I had a very fine teacher there. Uh, Mr. Tom Johnson was a, a trumpet player, and he played in in Dixieland bands. And uh, we had little uh, ensembles and, and played stuff like that. And uh, just before I went into high school, I switched to the drums and um, had a good private teacher who's still there, Mr. Stan Lunetta. He's uh, uh, timpanist with the symphony, but he's also a, gr- he's a very fine jazz drummer. And uh, so... Starting off, <clears throat> already playing in a band and uh, having you know, some experience and being able to read and so forth, uh, drumming was uh, a, a 
was fun. I mean, I really enjoyed it when I first started drumming, but I could, I had a foot in the door as far as playing in bands and reading music, so that helped a lot. And I studied with Stan for about six months, and then I had great high school teachers, band teachers and orchestra teachers who just sort of gave us our head. It was myself, <clears throat> some very fine players, uh, probably most notably Rufus Reed, the bassist. Absolutely. Yeah, who was also a trumpet player. We were both trumpet players in junior high school together. And then uh, when I switched to drums, he stayed on the trumpet. He didn't start really playing the bass until he got out of high school and went into the Air Force. And that's when he picked up the bass. And, you know, he's done very well. He's probably, the, the, of all of us, the most famous and, uh, uh, you know, most heard and well-known. Yeah, I don't know what... I, I, I don't want to equate like that because, I mean, you, to me, you're, you're on two of my favorite albums of all time, and I don't think I own one Rufus Reed album. I realize he's become famous, but... Um, I can't wait to tell him. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you let him know. But, you know, the thing is, Vince, I, I, why why was it... And I don't know what how much that musical uh, stuff you did in the Army, but why was the... Why, jazz was so big in our armed forces... Uh, in that time period, and it's it's all but vanished now. I mean, we we wh- why was it so prevalent back then? Was there was there a reason why? Oh well, it was before, you know, before uh, pop music exploded. You know, with the Beatles and all that. Um, probably has something to do with it. Um, <clears throat> speaking of the army, you know, I was in the army at Fort Huachuca down there where you are. That's right, down here in Arizona, down here in Tucson. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I, used to, uh, I, I was there in, uh, um, oh, I guess, 64 and 65, and I used to play gigs on weekends in Tucson, around Tucson. Do you know the names of the, was it like supper clubs and stuff? I wish I could think of that. There was a big supper club, and, uh, oh, the pianist, um, I the Barons or something. Before. I don't know, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's not, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, uh, um, he went on to this pianist went on to have his own place later I, when I was with Cal we went through there we went through Tucson and uh, I visited him at his own club I wish I, Mickey <laughs> Mickey <laughs> what the heck was it? Greco Mickey Greco Mickey Greco you know that name I, no I mean listen you know I, I, I've been out here since for the last eight years and I was born in 78 so I you know this is way yeah. before, you know yeah I believe that was it Mickey Greco that just uh, kind of Came in back into my consciousness. My, my anyway, engineer, a very my, fine piano yeah. player, a real good piano player, and I used to, you know, I, the drummer that worked with him, uh, I, I befriended, and um, I'd go sit in on their gigs and occasionally sub for them, play a gig around Tucson, which was a lot of fun. I really, I enjoyed that. And being in a, a remote place like Fort Huachuca, uh, in a small post van, needless to say, I had a lot of time to practice. <laughs> there wasn't much else to do. You know, absolutely. And then, and then you, you, uh, did you actually go over? Did you, did you have any uh, military activity at all, or were you just stationed there? And then you, you. Yeah, I was. Um, you know, I was drafted, so that meant I had a <clears throat> two-year obligation. And after basic training and and uh, what they call band training uh, <laughs> for four months, so I had eighteen months left on my obligation, and I spent it all at, at Fort Huachuca, and then I was discharged. And that's when uh, the, the uh, Vietnam thing really hit the fan, about the time I was getting out. 
So it was really, I mean, quite amazing timing that you were able to get out at that point. Well, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, <clears throat> my sergeant and, and, uh, and the first sergeant in the band, when I was getting ready to be discharged, says I might not get discharged because they could, if, if during the times of certain crisis, um, they freeze um, all the um, discharges and whatnot. You know, they just keep everything status quo. And uh, but I got out, and uh, you know, I mean, I military was wasn't my choice, but it was uh, it was a valuable experience. I'm like I said, I had a lot of time to shed, and I met some interesting people. And uh, um, when I got out, I was ready to do something else. I was ready to. That's when I moved to the Bay Area, by the way. And, Absolutely, no. I, yeah. I mean, you you were able to really work on your chops, and then when you got to the to the Bay Area, I mean, you could not have. I don't. I don't know why you cho- did. You just. Why did you choose to go there? Was it just you were hearing great things that you had you been there before? Why did you? Well, choose yes, that? It, yeah, it's kind of like that. Uh, well, I was still in the service. I was home on leave. Uh, I believe around Christmas time, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the organist uh, Groove Holmes happened to be in town, and um, great drummer was playing with him, Jimmy Lovelace. Absolutely, and. Uh, for some reason, Jimmy, who lived in the Bay Area at that time, um, got hung up and couldn't make the gig. And this friend of mine, a saxophone player, Mel Martin, and I were just hanging out one day, and we ran into uh, the guitar player with Groove Holmes. And he said to, to Mel, Mel introduced us, and, and he says, well, um, Lace can't make the, the, the gig. He's stuck in the Bay Area where he's doing something, you know, anybody. And Mel said, this guy. So I played a few days with Groove Holmes, which was really delightful, needless to say, this guy. Were you playing, like, down at the Booker T. Washington? Were you playing in the Fillmore District? Uh, no, this was in Sacramento. This was up in Sacramento. Okay, yeah, cool. I was home on leave. This is before I moved to the Bay Area. I was still in the service. I was going to say, Mel Martin, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to need to get a hold of him. He was uh, from Azteca fame. Mm-hmm. I mean, a big, big fan of that band. But yeah. So, so you had a chance to sit in with, and that was more uh, organ, organ, I mean, that exactly. was... Exactly. It was, you know, I mean, organ guitar and and uh and uh and groove holmes who had at that time was just had been in la for a period of time i don't know how long and he was sort of disenchanted and he was going back to um uh, i think he was from new jersey new york area and uh he was totally disenchanted with la and so we're talking and and uh I, he said what are you gonna do when you get out i said i'll probably go to la he says man if you want to play jazz you probably play more jazz in the bay area you know, so, uh, and plus I, by the time I got out, I did have a few friends here in the Bay Area. So I just decided I'd come and check this out. And I'm, that was, what, 40 years ago. Uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to rush through it. When you got there, I mean, first of all, who were your friends and, and were you playing at places like uh, El Matador, the Bothan, Jimbo's Bob City? I, I, I've been trying to really hone in on this explosion of of jazz and the venues and the accessibility so if you could if you could break that down when you first got out there it'd be great well when i got got out here in in in, uh, the bay area san francisco which i've never left i still live in san francisco i was uh you know it's like whenever you go anywhere you're in in the back of the line you just start you know playing with people as much as you can and trying to uh, uh increase your opportunities and uh I was playing um, little little clubs uh, in the Haight, actually. Uh, there was a couple of little clubs. Uh, I was playing with a piano player named Kent Glenn, 
uh, 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 saxophone player named Vince Wallace, trumpet player named uh, Bill Atwood, uh, uh, Bishop Norman Williams, the uh, alto player who just passed away a couple years ago, and uh, and uh, near the hate was the both and, <clears throat> which was kind of the happening club then in the late '60s around. Uh, the jazz workshop, I think, was just about to close in the late 60s, and I did hear some good music there and played a little bit there with <clears throat> guitarist Eddie Duran. And uh, and uh, El Matador came later. Uh, Cal Jader, this was before I was playing with Cal. Um, the drummer, John Ray, uh, and I were roommates for a while, and we were good friends, and he was playing with Cal. And, in fact, he's the guy that recommended me to Cal. Wow. Wow. Uh, um, or Cal to me, I should say. Did, did I'm trying to the uh, did Carl Burnett play with, with Carl Burnett was was on the scene at that time too. Yeah, that Carl played um, uh, in the interim. John Ray played in the early '60s and then came back later in the I guess early '70s. And then I think Carl Burnett was in between. And uh, there's another good drummer. I really like Carl. Yeah, no, I Carl and I talk. Quite often, I'm sure he'll be thrilled to know that I'm talking. Yeah, about. I mean, uh, he's a beautiful drummer. Yeah, played with Horace Silver and all that. Um, but anyway, uh, but John, I mean, uh, uh, Cal was all over the El Matador. That was kind of his home base. I missed the Blackhawk. That uh, by the time I got here, it had just closed. And uh, but um, uh, like I say, the uh, uh, both and was going, and uh, saw a lot of heard a lot of great music there. And saw a lot of great people. Played there on occasion, but I was still in the, uh, you know, lower ranks. I guess. <laughs> yeah, you were. You were a backbencher. Yeah. Now, thank you. Now, I was going to say, uh, like, how at the time, um, where where had the where where was the Brubeck, Geraldi, Desmond, Jader uh, configuration had that had that already disbanded? I'm just trying to figure out how you wound up with Vince. Well, Vince was living here in the Bay Area. He lived in Marin, and he had <clears throat> had some success, you know, with Cast Your Fate to the Wind and and Peanuts and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, it's just, uh, you know, uh, you play with guys and uh, you play with somebody and they recommend you, you know, usually a bass player. If you're a drummer and vice versa, you know, you play with a bass player and he's he's on a gig and... And if he likes your playing, he'll he'll recommend you, you know. And um, I played with Vince. I did uh, one of the Peanuts specials, and I did some gigs around here. <clears throat> then he had a little steady uh, weekend at a, a place down in uh, um, Menlo Park near Stanford University. And uh, I, I was I did about <clears throat> six or eight months with him there uh, with the bassist Seward McCain, and. Uh, <clears throat> And Brubeck had had split by then. I think he was he was re- really a big success, and he was living back east, Connecticut, I think. Uh, but Cal was still here. Cal Lee lived in uh, down the peninsula in uh, Milbrae. I don't know if you know that part of it's uh, San Mateo. Right, exactly. That's where he was originally. Uh, he was born in St. Louis, but then his folks moved to San Mateo. Right. That's he was raised in San Mateo, and. Uh, Anyway, he still lived around here, and he was—he always had a, a a good band, you know. And I always, and I, 
<clears throat> met him uh, through John Ray and other people, and but I never played with him until we did a uh, the first uh, uh, Russian River Jazz Festival, which uh, I don't know if that thing is still. I guess it's still going. Do you, have you heard of that? It's in Northern California. Is that I'm not sure? In, uh, is it Northern California? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah okay. it's out. It's north of the bay of the Bay Area. It's a, it's in um, um, area called Guerneville, which is the Russian River. Which I'm taking notes. Resort. Don't worry, I'm taking notes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and and some uh, local guys threw together this all this big band, and it had uh, besides locals, it had people like Pepper Adams and uh, uh, Eddie Henderson and, and and Cal was was added, and I I was in that. There were couple of different drummers, myself and another guy, and we were trading off. And I played with Cal for the first time there, and uh, he liked my playing, and we talked, but uh, he wasn't looking for a drummer at that time. And then a little bit later he was, and then that's when he called me, you know. So that's how that came about, you know. Were you, were you hip to the... Um you know, I still, you know, being a, a person who's just an avid listener and someone who digs it quite a bit... Uh, his band with Armando Peraza and Willie Bobo and Mongo and Al McKibben, what, when you first heard that sound, what was there something that was cutting edge? What was Cal doing that was sort of so, even when I talked to Carl Burnett, I mean, he talks about the idea here of, you know, growing up in these segregated neighborhoods in Southern California and him and Roy Ayers were in a Latin jazz band together and they were going crazy over Cal's music. Now, I uh, uh, I picked up one of these uh, red red vinyl fantasy albums that Cal did with that lineup of McKibben and Peraza, and I'm still trying to figure out what was happening. What what were they doing that was so revolutionary to all these great musicians? If you could if you could articulate about that, would be great. Well, I, the first band I heard Cal Jeterman live was. Uh, in the late 50s with Willie Bobo and uh, Mongo and Vince Guaraldi and Al McKibben. And that was a great band. I mean, it was like I'd never heard anything like that. Uh, uh, the Latin thing was uh, not real big <clears throat> in Sacramento. There was, <clears throat> you could hear some Latin music, but nothing like that. And, and remember, Al McKibben, I mean, uh, well, Al McKibben's the guy that turned Cal onto Latin music, um, when they were with George Shearing together, and uh, and Willie and Mongo came from Tito Puente's band, I, re- I believe that's how that worked. That's exactly right. And and uh, I mean, it was <clears throat> to see those guys live. Um, and Cal always did a thing where he would do part jazz and part Latin. So you'd be, <clears throat> um, you know, he'd usually start with the jazz, and here's a quartet without the conga. And uh, they're playing some very hip jazz, you know, and all those guys are great players. Although the first time I heard Willie play, he, he was just starting to play uh, jazz trap drums, <clears throat> the drum set. And he was a little bit uh, uh, like a fish out of water. He wasn't quite there, you know, as far as conceptually, because he was a great timbali player. And as soon as he switched to timbales and Mongo came out, it was like they, they moved up another, you know, notch or... Ten, you know, it was one of those, right. and it was just incredible. You know, it was just uh, the way it worked, and it was a mystery. I just uh, the whole Latin thing was, <clears throat> I could feel it, but I, I really didn't quite understand what was happening. 
Vince, you just you uh, we, this breeze through. Hang tight. We're going to a hard break, bottom of the hour news break. When we come back, we'll do a whole lot more. Okay, bud? All right, man. I'll hang on. All right, now. CNN Radio, I'm Shelby Lynn. Atlanta businessman Herman Cain beat out the field of GOP presidential candidates to win a non-binding strong poll in Florida at a Republican political forum today. Texas Governor Rick Perry placed second. President Obama is expected to focus on his new jobs bill in a speech at the annual Congressional Black Caucus Awards dinner tonight. The White House would say that the president spends a lot of time and has spent a lot of time talking with black leaders and black organizations about their concerns and that this job bill that he's proposed that he introduced just this month will go a long way to, to addressing some of their concerns. CNN's Athena Jones reporting. Those in positions with some authority but little perceived status, like clerks, mid-level managers, and prison guards, tend to degrade or humiliate others, according to a new study by researchers at three universities. The most trusted name in news, this is CNN Radio. If you like painting and saving, ask Sherwin-Williams and save 40% on paints and stains during our four-day super sale, September 23rd through the 26th. With 40% off our great paints and stains and 30% off painting supplies, you can give your whole home a color makeover. But hurry, these savings are so super, they won't be around for long. Find your nearest store at sherwinwilliams.com sale. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. As a home plate ump, my eyesight is my paycheck. Strike one! Strike that thing was chin high! But the price of monthly contact lenses was eating me up. Strike two! Come on, it bounced to the plate! So to save some money, I'm just using these glasses I found. Cha-ching! Strike three! You're out! He hasn't even pitched the ball yet! There's an easier way to save. Get online. Go to geico.com. Get a quote. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. It's your dream vacation. (coughs) Don't let the flu ruin it. Shield yourself with a quick and easy Rite Aid flu shot for just $27.99. They're covered by most insurance plans, available without an appointment, and come with a coupon book worth $100 in savings. So get your flu shot at any Rite Aid anytime. And take vacation days, not sick days. That's the value of wellness. Quantities limited and available during pharmacy hours only. No purchase necessary for coupon book. See store for details or visit RiteAid.com slash flu. Coffee, please. Phyllis, what's that spring in your step? Are you in love? In love with Dr. Scholl's Custom Fit Orthotic Inserts? My feet feel fantastic. What? The Dr. Scholl's Custom Fit Orthotic Kiosk at Walmart. It measures and analyzes your feet, then recommends the Custom Fit Orthotic that's best for you. Sounds expensive. No way. They're a great deal. Hey, get that guy's coffee. I'm off to Walmart. Go to Walmart.com and search Dr. Scholl's Custom Fit Orthotics for a kiosk nearest you. Savings versus other custom orthotics insert brands sold at retail. Folks, this is Jake Feinberg. One of the first things I wanted to do when I moved to Tucson was find authentic Chinese cuisine. After a tip from the Chinese Student Association, I headed over to Badar Chinese Restaurant. Well, it's been seven years, and I have never looked back. Located at 7321 East Broadway Boulevard, Badar has been a family-run operation since 1992. The award-winning chef produces succulent dishes from sizzling ginger chicken to salt and pepper shrimp. The thing that separates Badar from the rest is that the chef procures ancient oriental dishes with the exotic island flair of Taiwan. Most importantly, there are no gimmicks or razzle-dazzle at Badar. You won't find any flat-screen TVs or karaoke machines. Badar is a place to go enjoy good food and spend time with your family. 
It exudes peace and tranquility after a long week of work. So come down and check out Baodar Chinese Restaurant. Hong Hao Chu, it's that good. Folks, this is Jake Feinberg. As a passionate consumer of vinyl records, I value the art of collecting and archiving. So I have marked my calendar for Sunday, November 6th for the 7th Annual Tucson Record Show, located at Las Casuitas Event Center at I-10 in Grand. The show features vinyl collectors and dealers from all over the state. Doors open at 9 a.m. and tables are available for rent, but space is running out fast. For more information, contact Bruce Smith at 622-0104. The 7th Annual Tucson Record Show, 1365 West Grant and I-10, Sunday, November 7th. It's time to dig and get dirty. Don't miss it. Even the ancient Romans knew that music can soothe the savage beast. But what if there's a beast lurking in your old stereo? Maybe it's popping static, garbled distortion, a skip in the record, or worse, dead silence. Stereo Hospital can restore smooth sound to your receiver, amp, turntable, CD player, or speakers. At the same Midtown location, 4044 East Speedway for 10 years, Stereo Hospital might be the last shop in town doing quick, guaranteed repairs on vintage and modern stereos. Owner Jeff Brucker has over 40 years experience as an electronic technician and he is happy to bring back the joy and memories only your music collection provides. Log on to StereoHospital.com or call 722-4610 or just bring that mean old stereo in today. Stereo Hospital at 4044 East Speedway inside Metronome Music near Alvernon to calm the beast. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Be a part of a new coalition with Jake Feinberg. The second half of my show starts right now. Welcome back, everybody, to the Jake Feinberg Show. And that was the quickest half hour in radio uh, with Vince Latiano. Vince, welcome back. Thank you. So uh, you you were just you were in the middle of talking about looking at uh, watching Cal's bands but not being able to comprehend it. Keep going with that. Well, you know, uh, I figure I was uh, what. 16 or something, I was, and uh, had heard, you know, those fantasy records, the, the red ones, and, and uh, was, you know, just fascinated by the music, but uh, the rhythmic thing, you know, listening to, to jazz and, um, you know, 4-4 four, four and 3-4 jazz and so forth, and to hear the way they played their rhythms and divided the time and uh, all that was just different. And uh, a lot of it I, I, I could sort of comprehend or understand, but some of it I just, like uh, the 6-8 stuff, uh, I was trying to figure out, how in the hell did that work? You know, <laughs> I can feel it, but, you know, I'm, it's, it's just like growing up with, uh, with, with say, records, you're, you know, which is what I grew up with. Uh, you listen and you try to f- visualize what's going on, the, what the drummer's doing, you know, and sometimes it's just a mystery. And then as soon as you see the the drummer or a drummer do that it's like oh that's what it is <laughs> and it was kind of like that you know um did it, it did have, help did it have to do with um you were saying willie willie had just started playing the trap drums i mean did it have something to do with that or was it just no 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 i just it was a comment like willie was like i said it was a he was a timbali player a great timbali player and playing the 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 four four trap drums his feel 
like on the cymbal, was, was uh, more, more eighth note than swing, you know. And, uh, uh, but the next time I heard him, which was maybe a year later, he had, he had figured it out. <laughs> Hung out with Philly Joe or something, I don't know. But uh, uh, he, was, he was definitely swinging, you know. You mentioned, uh, you bring up, I, I, read, I was reading a, an article with Mike Clark, and he said that, that you, were real, you were real tight with Philly Joe. Is that true? Not really. I mean, I did some hanging with him. I wouldn't say I was real tight with him. You know, he'd come out here, and <clears throat> we hung a couple of times. We hung once down in San Diego when I was working with Cal. Um, uh, there was a place down there called the Catamaran. Uh, I don't know if it's still there. It's a hotel. Real nice gig. And uh, we had just finished in, in L.A., Cal, and we, we drove to the Catamaran because we were starting the next day. <clears throat> and, and we caught Bill Evans last night. And Philly Joe was playing with him. And I had met Philly Joe in the Bay Area just a few months before when he was with, with Bill Evans. And we we did some hanging. And, and uh, so it was sort of a reunion, you know. But, you know, uh, that was the extent of it. I mean, uh, I'm definitely a, a big fan of his. I mean, he's one of my... Um, uh, there are a lot of great drummers that I really love. And Philly was is right, right towards the top. We're up at the top, you know. You know, I'm not going to let you get away on this interview uh, without uh, doing a couple of uh, a couple of things here. Um, one was in uh, 1976. Um, I I could not fathom that it took me this long to realize this, but um, you played uh, on Flip Nunez's album "My Own Time and Space" right. with uh, Willie Colon and uh, and Michael Howell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, it's I know I've had a conversation with somebody before, but I can't remember who it was. And I was just, I'm so happy to be able, that somebody can, you can talk a little bit about Flip, a little bit, uh, because he was such an uh, an amazing musician, even just on the records that I hear him on, whether it's the the Bev Kelly stuff, the early stuff with Pony Poindexter, or, you know, the, the, the stuff that you did on Catalyst, which is just incredible. Uh, talk a little bit about what he meant to the to the scene, and, and who what kind of person he was. Well, he was, <laughs> boy... Very interesting person. Uh, uh, beautiful, beautiful spirit. Uh, he was he was a rough-looking guy. He, he was the kind of guy you would be afraid to approach uh, if you didn't know him. And he was a sweetheart. He was a teddy bear. He sang like an angel. And he was homemade as far as his... He didn't read. He played by ear. And just had the most wonderful feel. Uh, and... Uh, Played just, you know, he was a great blues player, uh, understood Latin, and, uh, and was getting into to funk, you know, towards the end when he, he died pretty early. Um, and uh, But he was a great, very interesting. I'm, I'm amazed you have that record. I mean, that was like. A, I, honestly, Vince, that record and then the one we're about to, we're going to play in a little bit. Are they're my two favorite? I, they are in the top five, my favorite records of all time. Uh, I always was in, inspired by these smaller labels. Well, how uh, did you find about? How did you find out about Flip? I mean, he he was a Bay Area guy. You know, he was another one of these guys that you know outside of the Bay Area. Amazing. He, I mean, he toured with John Hendricks and stuff like that. But he was a side man. You know, he wasn't a. Well, first of all, just the name Flip Nunez that would catch my attention. But then. Because I, I, I acquired a couple of albums off the Catalyst label, and I began to 
do more research, and I realized mm. that Flip actually did his. He it was a self titled album. Now I can go back and look, you know, and and put you and put the pictures up of of the of the because uh, whoever did the photography did did amazing work capturing the the spirit of that of that session. And I I mean I, I my daughter and I will we'll just spend the afternoon just putting that on side A side B side A side B. It's just. It is such a diverse album. He plays Hammond B3, he plays acoustic, electric, he sings. Yeah. And he also played with, and I. this was sort of a, I wanted to dovetail because the, the other guy that I wanted to ask you about was uh, George Muribus. Did, mm-hmm. you know, did you know George as well? Oh, well, I'm on, I'm on his first Catalyst record. What, uh, are, you seri- are you serious? Which album? The trio one? Yeah, there's two. There's one. I have both. You're, the one with Len Lasher on it? I believe Lenny's on both. He's, um, yeah, no. And then there's a there's one there's one there's a drummer that's not you. No, that's that's Lee Charlton. Exactly. You're on the other one. I'm on the other one. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait to go home and see that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm on the other one. Um, but yeah, George, uh, uh, I knew about the same time when I first moved here. I knew actually met Flip before I moved here. He was he would come up to Sacramento and play gigs, and we did some stuff together, and that's our first uh, um, meeting. And um, then when I got here, <clears throat> you know, we already knew each other. But George Maribus, he's, I think he's a local guy. Uh, he grew up in, uh, they were, by the way, they're both Filipino. Right. American. Yes. And George, it was the opposite from Flip. Flip is this kind of homemade, raw guy. And George was, grew up uh, as a child prodigy pianist. And he and his brother and sister had a, uh, a chamber a group, a trio. Let me see. His, he played piano, and his sister played violin or viola, and his brother played violin or viola. It was one of those kind of things, you know? So he grew up with classical music. He was a, an amazing technician. Uh, he played just so much piano, you couldn't believe it. And uh, then he eventually started playing more jazz. And, and uh, <clears throat> but that, we all used to work these little gigs. There was a a club in, in uh, Japantown in, here in San Francisco called Jigoku, and, uh, which means hell. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was a basement club. And uh, we'd play there. In fact, they would play with two keyboards. Flip would play a, uh, like a, 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 an organ, and, 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 and George would play a, a Rhodes. And Michael Howe would play guitar, and we'd play in this club for a long time. And a lot of people would come and go through this club. Uh, I would I would have been sitting in the front row with a scotch on the rocks every yeah. single night. Oh, that yeah, is so it. It was, no, you it, know it the, was quite a scene. <laughs> the, the album was uh, Brazilian Tapestry. That's right. another incredible. See, the, they the, to me, whoever was producing that or the the mentality, it was this understanding of fusing ethnicities and bringing together Latin and funk, and it was this crossover. That is so indelible to that time period, and it's, it's and it's so missing today. And it's one of the major reasons why uh, I just I, the bl- there was such a blend. And well, I, you remember that uh, you mentioned Azteca. Well, both Flip and George were in Azteca. Uh, that's and, what I was leading up to. And Mel Martin, yeah. Mel Martin was as well. Yeah, and Mel and Tom Harrell and uh, Lenny White. Uh, it's quite a collection. Well, when but, I that's what that's what freaked me out when I when I when I discovered Azteca, and I'm like. Dude, Flip and George were both in that band. And there was a third keyboard player named George DiQuattro, who I did a lot of playing with. George is a local guy, kind of a Vince Guaraldi kind of player, and, and uh, uh, we, we did 
lots of gigs together. George was he's still he's he's not playing, but he's around, and and I had a, have a lot of fond memories of all those guys. You know, they they all brought something different. But everybody at that time, like you mentioned, the the, the fusion of the of uh, the styles, everybody was kind of doing that. You know, we would uh, you know Chick Corea came out with. Uh, 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 Return to Forever, and everybody got on to Spain and all that stuff, and and uh, 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 trying to think of. Uh, well, there was there was you know you could Bill Graham would have uh, you know dates with Jefferson Airplane, Malo, and you know Miles Davis. Right. You know oh, no, that was right. It was that was what was happening. It was it was and and uh, you know. The other thing about Azteca that was great is just the, the the vocals. It was just such beautiful choral work, and, yeah. they, and they were just they were having such a fun time. But um, you know, it's just so I'm just so happy that uh, you know you knew these guys and 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 uh, and Michael Howells, another guy who I've been desperately trying to get a hold of, and I I, I know he's still around. I know he plays. He's in New York. Yeah, and 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 uh, you know, uh, his well, don't even get me started on on the milestone stuff that that put me on the on this trip to where I am today that he uh-huh. did, but uh, just to have you guys playing in the in Hell's Kitchen in in, J- in Japantown uh, would just must have been an incredible scene. Well, it was you know I'm sure like a lot of places there were gigs and and people gravitated and, and uh, you know you meet other musicians and you pick up other gigs I don't know it's just it's the way it is it's just this network you know people. Uh, people that are out there doing it, you know, just playing for a living, and uh, uh, that was what was happening. It was it, it was a good time. I mean, when you're bringing all this back, I hadn't thought about this Catalyst stuff in years. You know, the guy that that was kind of responsible for producing that, I believe, was Pat Britt. Pat Britt, absolutely. He and was instrumental. he was a Bay Area guy, saxophone player that moved to L.A., <clears throat> and then this record company surfaced, and he came up here from L.A. because he wanted to record all of us. He, he told the guy, the L.A. guy, hey, I want to go up there and get these guys, too, you know, because they were recording L.A. guys, too, you know. Well, there was, yeah, exactly, and, and uh, Chuck Niles did a lot of the liner notes, and he right. was like, really famous. Uh, right. Again, this, this is Chuck. all like a fantasy to me. This is mm-hmm. this is all a fantasy that you live through. Now, another fantasy that, <laughs> another studio gig that I would have wanted to go see is the one that my buddy last night transferred from vinyl to CD. We're going to listen through one track, Vince Latiano on Skins. Let's hit it, and we'll come back and talk about it. Okay. The high one, the high one. Come on, ride and do it, son. Serve it, deserve it. Don't just hide and slip and slide. Shadow, I meadow, saddle, sneaking around. Then you fade out and fly. Get it or miss it, either one, the only way. Check it, don't wreck it, do it right. Stay there and fight. Shadow, I meadow, it's shadow sneaking around. Then you fade on and fly. Smell it in the back door on a Like a bad chick when it's bombed Always trying to take what isn't yours Hiding it away in dusty drawers 
Vince for a couple of back benchers that ain't too bad. <laughs> you know, I don't have that record anymore. I haven't heard that in years. I'll, I'll send you. I got like three copies of it. I can send it to you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's. I don't know how you even. To me, it was just such a classic time. You guys were just having a ball. I mean, that he oh, yeah. made up lyrics to that stuff. I mean, that's hysterical. What is that tune? That's a Herbie. That's a Herbie. That's a slide. The slide on the yeah. on the, yeah. the Headhunters album. The first Headhunters album. And, and that's. Uh, uh, we got Mark Murphy, uh, you know, yep. and Richie Cole, and then and then what I love is this guy. Uh, you and uh, what I really dig on is, is uh, Jack Gobetti, and you are just like totally in sync together. He's playing percussion, right? And, and you're playing drums on that. And the whole, I mean, there's also ballads on there that that bring me to tears. I mean, it's it to me it was like, I mean, listen, I was roughly four months old when when you when you, when you cranked out this album, but <laughs> but somewhere I was, you know, extremely uh, excited. Mm-hmm. June first, seventy eight, at uh, the infamous Wally Hyder Studios in San right, Francisco. Right. Unbelievable. Yeah, 
you know, um, what I what I did want to you know in our remaining minutes, uh, you know, we didn't we, we haven't done it we haven't given uh, enough time to it, but you know, you joined Cal's band and you were with Cal uh, for the last uh, six years or so of his life. Four. Four four years of his yeah, life. Yeah, seventy eight to eighty two. And uh, and you and you played in that group that had uh, you know Roger Glenn and Pancho Sanchez in it and um, and and Claire Fisher Gary Foster and and I was just hoping you know because we talked a little bit about um, the Latin component uh, the Latin sound that you were hearing when with Mongo and Willie and then we talked about the Azteca sound and Cal sound changed during that period. And I was kind of wondering where you put his sound at when you were on the Concord Picante label with him. Well, you know, different musicians bring their own little thing, Absolutely. and it and things just tend to to change just uh, without trying, you know. And <clears throat> uh, Poncho was on the band, and you know what a great musician Poncho is. And uh, so when I came on. <clears throat> He, I played, you know, I mean, I, I'm a, I consider myself a, a jazz drummer that, that plays Latin. I'm not a Latin drummer, you know. And when I came on, Poncho uh, hit me to a lot of stuff. And, and Cal, too, because Cal, you know, look at the great uh, Latin players he had. So he had a lot of uh, uh, knowledge about that, that genre. And uh, both of them helped me a lot. And uh, I don't know, Claire was on the band the first two years I was on it, and he was great at that stuff. And then later, uh, Mark Levine came on, and uh, everybody just brings something, and, and it, it just... But, you know, when you talk about Azteca, you talk about the Escovito brothers, Pete and Coke. Exactly. You know? yeah. And, uh, and uh, they, they played uh, in a di- differently than, than their predecessors, in a, in a way. You know, they played differently than Mongo and... And uh, 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 and Willie, you know, Coke was a great timbali player. I don't know if you're hip to him, Coke Escovito. You know, uh, and, and I, I know his stuff with like Linda Tillery and stuff from the yeah, from the seventies. Was yeah, he was really a marvelous musician. He died early too, but um, I don't know. That's uh, did that help? To you know, I just when, when you say change, when you you, know, say, I mean, you say things like because I know you're a musician, so you know you say things like uh, that thing. Or you'll say eighth notey to swing, and I'm just trying to figure out like when you say Latin sound, is it is it is it is it is it time? Is it rhythm? Is it is it the cha cha cha, the mambo? Like that's what Poncho talked about. But I'm just still trying to figure out Latin jazz and how it is different from. And we could probably spend a lot more time off air talking about this, but um, you know, you know what I'm essentially trying to get at here is I, I'm a firm believer that because of, of who Cal was as a person, as a player, as a leader, as an innovator, that, uh, you know, he would have been, uh, things would have been written about him uh, long ago if he was still alive. But he died so young and, yeah. and, and so suddenly. And I feel like his place in history has really not been done justice. And what that's really my goal is to try to get people like yourself to talk technically uh, and spiritually about who he was and what he was doing that made him such a special person. Well, he, uh, he was uh, a very natural musician, very talented. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, particularly schooled in, in the sense of, uh, you know, uh, college training and so forth. He was just a real good, he was a drummer, 
before Avidus. He played drums. Uh, all, and he, I don't think he started playing the vibes till like, he got out of the service, or while he was in the service, he kind of flirted with it. And uh, <clears throat> so he, you know, he taught himself vibes and ended up with George Shearing and um, and uh, <clears throat> uh, Al McKibben took him he so Cal told me when they were in, in New York uh, Al McKibben took him uh, on a break from George Shearing around the corner to the Palladium and that's the first time he heard what he considered real Latin music which was Tito Puente and uh, Machito the two big bands and he was floored and uh he just uh, dove in, you know, because he loved it so much. And uh, Before, it is a different uh, way of thinking and playing. And just like he would say, it's like turning a switch in your mind from one style to the other, uh, the way you approach the rhythm, uh, as opposed jazz is more of a triplet rhythm, uh, the swing, you know. And uh, uh, Latin music is uh, more of a, a straight eighth note rhythm. And, uh, you know, it's, you have to be careful uh, if you're going to really try to play authentically that you don't uh, mix one with the other. Uh, you know, uh, if you're going to play jazz, you it, it swing. It's got to have that triplet feel, more or less. You know. You know, Vince, I I uh, I think that at some point uh, in near re- relatively near future. I mean, I've talked to Mike Wolf and and yourself and Poncho and and Elizabeth Jader, Dick Burke, John Hurd. Um, but I want to do more uh, in-depth stuff. Uh, but I, I also didn't want to, um, you know, uh, placate or overlook your amazing career. And I, 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 uh, I just want to just thank you were so much for for being a part of my of my show today. And uh, and uh, you know, just thanks so much. Well, thank you, Jake. I, I really appreciate it. And you've uh, <clears throat> really <laughs> brought back some stuff that I totally haven't thought about in quite a while and it's fun to listen to i'm gonna i'm gonna keep putting i'm gonna keep putting it in your ears if that's the last thing i do my friend all right man all right man take it easy you this, too all right this is the jake feinberg show and uh we'll be seeing you all next jll south tucson cbs news i'm sam litzinger all political eyes on florida today as the state held a straw poll to decide which candidate gop voters think should become the next president of the united states cbs news correspondent After taking his lumps in this week's debate, Texas Governor Rick Perry's efforts to woo Republican activists in Florida fell far short.